The following program is intended for mature audiences. Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. It's Big Boom Radio Friday, people, so it's time once again for the Big Boom Radio podcast, Riffs and Rants, with Johnny Teflon and Michael Sean Lee. Both barrels, both sides, and a lot of good music, too. All I know is this violates every canon of respectable broadcasting. Indeed it does, my friend, indeed it does. And we'll be right back, folks, after the first gem of the day. That was tasty. Did, that feel, that, did, did that feel as good to you as it felt to me? That was good. That was kind of rocking. What yes, was that? Yes. That was the 1987 cover of Pipeline that was done by Stevie Ray Vaughan and Dick Dale. 
That was uh, that late, was late great Stevie Ray Vaughan and the late great Dick Dale. Yes, we just lost Dick Dale just a couple weeks ago. Was that just a couple weeks yes. ago? Yes. Really? You know, as I think of it, wasn't that in a movie you in know? the 80s, too? <laughs> I try to try to forget this this time period. This, but, uh, yeah, you're exactly right. That was in... That was the, the song was part of a 1987 soundtrack to the film Back to the Beach, which a big, big I heaping helping of cheese. Oh yes, do you remember that? Because it was Annette Fennicello. Yes, and then wasn't Frankie Avalon in that as well? Yes. Oh my God, those were strange times, people. Wow. 1987 was strange times. And I can only imagine a movie of that stature probably attracted such stars as Paulie Shore. Uh, yeah, it's just God help bad. me. Oh, I think Paulie Shore was an infant at that point, but he may have been in that movie. Did you know that he was uh, the son of Mitzi Shore? She was the one who started the comedy store uh, in so Los Angeles, a legendary comedy yeah, store. Yeah, so that's who we need to go back in time and, and kill. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Gotcha. Both of those people. But no, that was uh, that. I absolutely love that cover, that version of the song. Um, I know people generally associate that, I believe, with the Ventures, who had a hit with it in '64, mm-hmm. and I think that was on the uh, that was on the soundtrack to Pulp Fiction. I believe it was the career-defining uh, Quentin Tarantino film, Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong. Quickly, correct me if I'm wrong. I think you're wrong. But the fact of the matter <laughs> is, well, you always think I'm wrong. No, That's you're a right. Given, no, you you're know? totally right. Totally. But right. the fact of the matter is, that song was done by a band called the Shantays back in 1962. You are correct, sir. They had a hit with that song too. Uh, a top ten hit, I believe. Um, but it's funny. Back then, hits came and went, came and went. The Ventures took it up in '64. You know, they pretty much became the band that was identified with that tune, which is a yep. classic surf rock tune. Um, and obviously Stevie Ray and uh, and Dick Dale, you know Dick Dale, the you know monster of you know surf guitar, yep. you know we're doing a little little tribute, little nod, you know, which is interesting because Dick Dale was actually a big influence on Stevie Ray Vaughan. A lot of people don't know that. Really, I did not know. Yeah, that. a very young Stevie Ray Vaughan growing up in Texas, mm-hmm. playing bars and honky tonks, you know, uh, but yeah, Dick Dale was a very much very much an influence on Stevie Ray, and in a way. You know, that was Stevie's nod to Dick Dale, you know. Got it. Makes and perfect sense. And a fantastic version of that tune. I think that's the version I like more than the other version. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Ventura's version is great, don't get me wrong, but that version just shreds. It just shreds. Got it. You know. And that was a good choice for what we like to call one of our little gems. Yes. Yeah. Every episode, folks, we're going to do a gem to open the program. To kind of cleanse the palate, if you will, mm-hmm. for this uh, amazing dialogue that's sure to follow <laughs> every time. And then towards the uh, end of the show, as sort of a denouement, that's my French word for today. Uh, that was French? gem number two. Denouement. Is that French? Yes. Really? That's pseudo-French. Come on That's now. amazing French. All right. All yes. right. I'll give you that one. But I'm not giving you another <laughs> one. I'll let that one go. But it should also be noted that that was, I mean, it was, you know, I was given the choice to uh, pick the song. That we were going to open up Riffs and Rants with. First song ever. Heavy, heavy responsibility, you know, <laughs> to inaugurate, you know, Big Boom Radio's podcast, if you will, Riffs and Rants. But that was very much a nod to Big Boom Radio's flagship show, the Rockabilly Rumble. Ah, there it is. You know, There's rock- rumblings, are there? Yes, Rockabilly, Psychabilly, Surf Rock, Punk, Ska, New Wave. You know, in a lot of ways, Surf Rock hits all of those things, it you sure know, does. every single point, yep. you know. I mean, there's definitely elements of punk there. There's definitely elements of psychobilly, you know. Sure. And uh, and yeah, it's just it's a <laughs> it feels good. It just feels good. Yeah. And with the different genres, you know, you pointed out uh, 
how Dick Dale was such a big influence of so many artists. Yeah. When you listen to the Rockabilly Rumble and especially like the modern Rockabilly music, it all comes back from those guys from the 50s and 60s. Yep. Sometimes, let's say, in a lyrical sense, as with a Johnny Cash. Mm -hmm. Sometimes in a uh, musical, like the guitar sense, like a Dick Dale or a Link Ray, these Ooh, these sounds and go. these themes carry over straight to, to today. Absolutely. And it's amazing because it's uh, a genre of rock and roll that's kind of plateaued here in the United States. But in Europe, and especially Scandinavia and Great Britain, it's the most popular form of rock and roll. Is it really? And these people are living it like yesterday was 1955. It's yeah. amazing. That's nice. And they do have these giant gatherings. And the generic term when they do get together is a rockabilly rumble. Nice. That's where we pulled the title from. Yeah. But I always saw it. If you're going to start with that, what other types of music, what other genres are somewhat related? And I found out very quickly that you could marry it to punk and you could marry it to ska. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and in some cases, country western. But you yeah, know what? no, very much so. Very Since, much so. You know, I've never worked at a mill, you know, and I never <laughs> had to put my dog down. I really can't relate. Oh, so I keep it to the more upbeat. Was that an old yellow <laughs> reference? Is that what that was? Oh, my goodness. I think I dated her once. I... Hey, now. Oh, <laughs> But no, you're right. I mean, R&B is the roots to all of it, you know? Yep. And, uh, and yeah, Rockabilly Rumble touches on all those things and all those themes. Yeah. You know? So here we are. Again, excellent choice. You, you know, moving on, as you mentioned, we've got this little ditty now we call Riffs and Rants. And basically the premise is you, sir, yes. as I understand it. Uh-huh. Uh, wait, let me cross off my notes. I wrote, <laughs> I, I wrote sniveling down for some reason. Let me get rid of that. Yeah, you're not. He's sniveling. a bitter man, folks. He's a bitter man. <laughs> but you are what we refer to in common parlance as a West Coast liberal. You could call me that. You could definitely call me that. You know, I originally, you know, grew up in Boston. Uh, that's where the, you know, you know, liberal thing was planted. But yeah, I was out. I was out in Los Angeles for 25 years. You poor bastard. Uh, you know, it was a good time. It was a good time. It really was. <laughs> I don't remember much of it, but you know, it was a good time. I think because I don't remember much of it is the reason why I knew it was a good time. But hopefully, hopefully somebody took pictures. I tend to think somebody did. You know, <laughs> I tend to think somebody did. And. You know, if you're out there and you have those pictures, call me, please, before you <laughs> post them online. <laughs> really? Michael Sean Lee, care of the uh, back alley. There we go. <laughs> care of bigboomradio.com. Right. But, yeah, it, uh, you know, it's funny. A lot of people, I, and this is something I'll credit to uh, the right. They've managed to demonize the term liberal. I mean, if you look at the term liberal, uh, the exact definition of liberal is open-minded and progressive, but spin doctors that they are, the right has managed to demonize that term, you know, make it a make it a, a derogatory term. You tambourine thumping hippie, ding. Quite honestly, I admire that accomplishment. I truly do. You know, I mean, if you get away from the morality or lack thereof of it, I do admire a lot of the spin you know that has been accomplished on it's the right. It's entertaining on a level, you know, and. One of the reasons we're doing this, good folks out there in, yes. in Radioland, is that uh, contrary to my friend here, who is a good friend, I am, yeah, a really crusty Republican, <laughs> right-wing, pseudo-Nazi. Basically, you know, the, the things that your children are afraid of and you check under the bed for. All of the above. Yeah, totally. Um, are there no prisons? Are there no workhouses? Yeah, the whole thing. <laughs> what was that, from Oliver? 
No. Did you know? That's a Christmas carol. So ah, very yes. good. You're making Christmas carol references. Already. All right. It's Christmas in August. I'll <laughs> go with that. I'll go with that. That's okay. But yeah, we have very uh, different, like diametrically opposite views on things. And yet, we have civil conversations, we debate, and probably most importantly, we laugh at each other's views because we're all the same. We're not nearly as different as we think. And perhaps if we had more shows like that rather than pundits um, self-emulating or crucifying the opposition, <laughs> TV would be a little less stressful to, to turn on these days. And the one thing we do have in common is uh, just generally a loathing of mainstream media. A loathing of mainstream media, a love of good music, and a love of good alcohol, I must say. Clearly. Yes. <laughs> and I am working on Jaeger to pick up a sponsorship of the show, but they're not they're not returning my calls. No, I'm Again. sorry to hear that. Yeah. Uh, you know, that would have been good. That would have been good because, it, yeah. Anyway. Don't answer it. It's him again. <laughs> it's Johnny Teflon. But that is truly the truly the foundation of the rants portion of Riffs and Rants. You know, we're defying conventional wisdom here by actually sitting down and talking to each other. Sure. And, you know, taking good fun in our differences, you know, turning the, it on its ear. Civil discourse has kind of been lost. You know, uh, conventional wisdom dictates that you and I aren't supposed to be doing this. We're not supposed to be talking. God knows we're not supposed to be friendly with each other and drinking together. Good God. You Don't know? you be looking at my daughter. I'm <laughs> <laughs> Someday, folks, I will enlighten you as to why when something dramatic and ugly gets said, I spit chaw juice into an imaginary brass spittoon. Yes. Good fun. Good it's fun. all a good fun, folks. But yeah, that's that's one of the one of the ways that John managed to convince me to do this um, was the fact that that you know, civil discourse seemingly has been lost in society. And that's a shame. That's 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 truly sad. Right. You and know, it's people's not just politics. It's we could talk about it's sports, we talk about movies, yeah. comic books. <laughs> yes, yes, comic <laughs> books. Well, this is another another case of our, our, our differences and how we're not supposed to be able to get along. John, you are, correct me if I'm wrong, a DC guy, correct? Born and bred, baby. Yeah, and I'm I'm definitively Marvel. You know, because I absolutely they're liberal. Is that what it is? I don't it's funny. Tambourine man. <laughs> I'll have you know I prefer Maracas. I prefer right. Maracas. Duly noted, but to me you'll always be a tambourine thumping hippie. Well, you know, and, and I'm wearing the sandals. <laughs> I am. He I is will folks, Birkenstocks with a, a black suit. Black suit and sandals. And I look good. I look He looks passable. Good. He's got a full head of hair. After that it's downhill. Yeah. John, just as a as a <laughs> As a little side note, why DC? Why what what what, what appealed to you about DC? Just out of curiosity, they're the archetypes. And uh, as legend has it, I learned how to spell Batman before I learned how to spell my name. Okay. Uh, growing up, I had a lot of illnesses. Was sick a lot. Loved to read. And my mom had befriended uh, this old couple that owned a convenience store, and they would give her all the comic books at the end of the month. Ah. So I would just sit there and absorb this stuff. Yeah. And. I'm still at my ripe old age of right. a little idealistic. And I think that every culture needs its tales of the extraordinary. Yep. And to me, you so know. So you're talking like escapist stuff. That's yes. Yeah, right. It's lighthearted. There are no superheroes, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending how you look at it. Right. But um, I like the uniqueness of the DC superheroes. There's only one Batman. There only will ever be one Batman. True. Superman is the archetype Ubermensch that's in every 
culture's mythos. Since, Not a debatable you know, point. Cain yep. and Abel. No, that's true. Um, and I like that simplicity. And Marvel, to me, uh, had its heyday in the 60s. So it's when most of their best characters came along, sure. with maybe the exception of you know, Captain America and the Submariner. Yep. But they're reactionary to the times. And they yeah. still endear because there's always tumult in society. Sure. But that's the segment that the uh, Marvel publishers speak to, and that's their bread and butter. Well, that was what Marvel, what appealed to me about Marvel was the, the reality, you know, the yeah. realism, the fact that they were based in real cities, New York, sure. you know, and real characters with real issues. You know, that's... Like I said, that was always, you know, appealing to me that, you know, Tony Stark, Iron Man, you know, the uh, storyline where he was an alcoholic, mm -hmm. you know, or Peter Parker, you know, Spider-Man actually, you know, having issues being a kid in high school, that kind sure. of thing. Things people could relate to. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Which is what appealed to me. Though I will say I wasn't completely Marvel. I mean, I do appreciate, you know, the Batman storyline. I do appreciate the Superman storyline. Um but, yeah, I, I <laughs> yet another one of our differences, yeah. Marvel and DC. You know, quick fun fact. I was uh, dating this girl in college, and I had totally outkicked my coverage on her. Yeah. And she had said to me one day in casual conversation, Johnny, what would you do if you won the lottery tomorrow? And without missing a beat, yeah. I said, well, I would fake my own death, drop out of society, and reappear as a costume vigilante. And she started crying because she knew I was totally telling the truth. <laughs> it wasn't even speculation. <laughs> But and now I'm older <laughs> and more mature, and I, I've sold out, and I'm part of the same mechanism I wish to fight against. Mm -hmm. um, I'm only kidding. I, I was always for the big machine. <laughs> <laughs> now I just drive uh, different ways to uh, quell the unwashed masses from taking what I got. Yeah, yeah. Folks, I want to say I never heard that story before. That is the first time John told me that. And I admire that. That poor I, thing. I, I truly do. And that poor girl, if she's out there <laughs> listening. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. So, part of the ecology of Johnny Teflon, you know? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a wacky dude. I'm in some ways just very, which sees what you get, yep. you know? But like I said, Pragmatist. I, yeah, All right. extremely. Some yep. would say cynical, and I say no. Okay. I'm pragmatic. I'm practical. Um, in my, you know, political views, I'm about states' rights, as simple as that. Yet, I am more pro-choice than I am pro-life, which That's is rare for a Republican. Yeah, it is. Because I think everybody should be in charge of their own destiny, and I'm not about telling anybody how to live. And, you know, it's as long as you're not hurting anybody, you do what you have to do. Now, as far as people are going to throw back at me, well, it's that's a life. You can't, you know, terminate it. My thing is, people that aren't going to have an abortion are never going to have an abortion. Mm -hmm. And people that are going to are always going to find a way to. Yeah. So you can persuade and you can, I hate to even words this, I'll put it in air quotes, educate people on things. But at the end of the day, let them make whatever decision that they're going to make. It's really as simple as that. That's a surprisingly moderate position to take uh, from someone who is, you know, a Republican. Do you feel it? <laughs> do you think that, that right now, the world at large, do you think moderate Republic Republicans are being misrepresented? I think there's elements on both sides of the major parties that are being misrepresented. I agree. I mean, I felt terrible when, you know, a few years back, my party was hijacked first by the religious right. Yeah. Because I do believe that religion really should have no play in politics. In politics, no. And then after that, you've got basically uh, an unwashed anarchic mob that labeled itself the Tea Party, <laughs> that yes. thought they were speaking to the Founding Fathers, 
and decrying really any form of government at the same time. So that's yeah. kind of nonsensical. Yeah. You know, these things develop because people are upset at something, and then maybe a demagogue comes along who's smart enough to touch on all these points, yep. and it gets everybody rallied around something. Mm -hmm. Some of these individuals throughout history, because I do fancy myself a history buff, okay. especially when it comes to presidents in this country, and I think everything is cyclical. But if you could marry popular opinion with a real plan to make things happen, that's when this country does great things. That's yeah. how it's always been, you yeah. know? I also refuse to believe that the entire Democratic Party is represented by the squad. <laughs> it would be irresponsible and stupid of me to assume that, as much Ooh. as we'd all like to paint Ooh. the Democratic Party as, as a bunch of, of tambourine thumpers and ne'er-do-wells and socialists. Honestly, it's not like that. And you've got people on that stage now with these debates. Oh, yeah. They're not socialists. Joe Biden is not a socialist. God, no. And uh, listen, the only one I really hate is de Blasio. I'll throw that out there. Yeah. Because <laughs> well, New York City is suffering from what I'm hearing. Oh, yeah. Well, you're from Jersey, right? Yeah, So sir. there's a natural animosity towards Jersey people and New York people? No, that's fabricated. Is it really? That is totally fabricated. No kidding. Yes. I, I will always that. have a love affair. If anything, when you live in New Jersey... Unless you're way up in North Jersey, yeah. you're caught in a tug of war between Philadelphia and New York City. Ah. Philadelphia, the redheaded stepchild of, of New York City who tries to be important and whatnot, but yeah. no, stop it. You're not. That's interesting. I didn't know that. <laughs> I did not know that. That's <laughs> and I'm anybody all living my in Philly Philadelphia friends. <laughs> we worry about that. <laughs> stop trying to be important. <laughs> but you know, it's funny because you just touched on something. Uh, I have issues, serious issues. I have a long list of issues with the current state of the Democratic Party. You know, I don't. Go on. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> I don't think they're controlling their message very well. You know, I don't think uh, their control of the media and getting the message out is, you know, particularly advantageous. I don't think they're doing that well. I have a big problem with, and I mean, I will say that social media is a megaphone right now that's in a lot of ways distorting you know perspectives and positions but i mean quite frankly you know i have a big big problem with people on the left getting offended on behalf of people that couldn't care less yes what's that called uh piggyback pseudo outrage pseudo outrage kind of a little tired of the pseudo outrage big point and i know going forward since we're going into election year we'll be talking a lot about this I'm still waiting for the left to take responsibility for their contribution to the creation of the monster that is Trump. Sure. You know, yep. that hasn't happened yet. They're doing all the same things they did in 2016 that led to Trump getting elected. And, it, you know, from my perspective, it looks like he's about to get elected again because they haven't figured this out yet. Yeah, I don't see a serious challenger to him at this point. No. And you're right. It's it's basically a, a cyclical pushback. Mm -hmm. And you will always see this after you've had the same party in office for eight years. Sometimes right. it's a big pushback, sometimes it's a little one. But after eight years of Obama, I mean, look, the only one that could have gotten elected would have been somebody like Donald Trump. Yeah. Because you needed an archetype that's exactly the opposite. And for eight years of everybody walking on eggshells, because clearly you couldn't criticize the Obama administration without being branded a racist. Of course. Which I think right now the R word is worse than the N word because it incites even more vilification yeah. 
then if you drop any other type of epithet on, on a certain person, yeah. you step out of line, you're a racist, and then you're thrust into the court of public opinion that you can't possibly No, you can't win, win that it. fight. You can't win that fight. And that's another, another issue that I have with the left right now is that is being used way too often, and it's not legitimate. Sure. And it's getting tired. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's not having an impact anymore. It isn't. It's denigrated into a case of... I know you are, but what am I? Yeah, pretty much. Because so. when one side calls another a, a racist, they throw back with, I'm not, you are, because look what you said 20 years ago. Yeah. And you know what? Why is that a thing now? <laughs> Why is that a thing? I've noticed that. It's like now every time we go through an election cycle, here's an opportunity to beat somebody up for something they did 20 or 30 or 40 years ago. Right. You know, they were talking about uh, Joe Biden's position on busing. Right. In, correct me if I'm wrong, the early 1970s. Yep. You know, I mean, is it not possible that somebody can grow and change, you mm-hmm. know, and learn and change their perspective, change their opinion on things? Is that not possible? Do we not allow people to do that? When you're in either the Senate or the House of Representatives, your job is not just to represent your constituency mm-hmm. and, your, and have a, an agenda that you want to see accomplished. You've got to work with whatever the hell else is in there. Oh, absolutely. And to Joe's, Sleepy Joe, yes, he's kind of creepy, but to his defense... (laughs) Don't use the word creepy, please. Please. To his defense, he worked within the confines of what he had to work with. In the context of what was going on at the time. And sometimes you've got to give some ground to gain some ground. And he's not... Uh, he's a little loopy now, but he wasn't a stupid man. He's a career politician. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but what you just said, giving some ground to gain some ground, that's called governing. Yes. You know, compromise. The G word. When did compromise become <laughs> the verboten, C word? A dirty <laughs> word. Yeah. You know, I'm going to blame Newt Gingrich for that, but. You could blame any one of them. You know, yeah. I often say that if, if you trace all this nonsense back with the extreme sides and whatnot and, and the yellow journalism that's commonplace now. Mm hmm. You need go no further than the early career of a Rush Limbaugh Ooh. who would just take to the airwaves. And again, in true demagogue form, okay, mm-hmm. he would find his base, in this case, let's say middle America, and preach all of the things that bothered them in a very irresponsible manner and yeah. vilified people versus drawing comparisons and ideologies. Sure. You know? And there's been many more since then, right up to today. I oh, mean. Yeah. You don't have many news people on TV anymore. You've got pundits. No. I'm actually glad you brought that up. I think you're aware. I worked in the radio industry out in Los Angeles for a very long time in the 1990s and early 2000s. I actually dealt with a lot of the Rush Limbaugh's and the Howard Stern's and the Don Imus's. I don't think a lot of people realize that these guys are playing characters on the air. Yeah. Did you wear yeah. a hazmat when you were in the office with them? Unfortunately, yes. That was necessary. That so dirty. That was, I know. I know. <laughs> But I was getting paid well. I was getting oh, paid very well. Right. You know, so it was a good trade-off. But I don't think people realize these guys are just playing parts. Sure. You know, they're pushing buttons and playing yeah. parts. You know, you talk to these guys off the air, completely different than, you know, what you're dealing with on the on-air right. personality. It's a personality. And you you've know? seen that with some of these pundits. You know, for example, the first one that comes to mind is Joe Scarborough. Yeah. Okay. Which, aside from being the most beady-eyed MFR I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> he used to be on Fox, and yeah. he would eschew all the virtues of, of the Fox-esque mindset. Uh-huh. And I was on MSNBC, so figure that one out. Right. And vice versa. Bill Hemmer used to be on CNN. I believe now he's on Fox as well. 
I was a little really? older, wiser, a little gray in uh, the hair. Yeah, yeah. I mean, these guys jump ship because what they know how to do is read off a friggin' teleprompter Pretty much. with enough inflection to make people believe, wow, this is where he stands. So even if I don't agree with them, you know, I got to look at characters like a Rachel Maddow, who I call the lesbian Batman because she wears the same <laughs> costume every damn day, or actual <laughs> journalists like <laughs> Anderson Cooper or Wolf Blitzer, still best name in news ever. By the way, we're going to have some pseudo-outrage over the lesbian Batman comment. Oh, bring you it. Just, yeah, bring okay. it. All right, good, good. <laughs> By the way, folks, John is on Facebook. He is on Twitter. <laughs> I am not. He's unknown. No. You can't find him, no. folks, I but fly, me. I fly low and avoid the yeah. radar. Me, I'm like Rocky Balboa. Just lift open your window <laughs> like the movie Network and just start screaming out, and I will appear like Bloody Mary in a mirror. Say it three times. Boom. Just like that. <laughs> just like that. That sounded like a Beetlejuice reference almost. Beetlejuice. See, said it twice there now. There you go. Don't right. do it. Don't right. do no, it. No, no, no. Not a third time. But no, that brings <laughs> up another topic that I love to hammer on is the irresponsibility of the news media these days. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, it's all gone for profit. You know, I don't know if people realize this. Sometimes I wonder if people realize this because they're so easily led by the opinions being expressed by the Fox News sure. and MSNBC and CNN people. Yeah, um, but no, it's it's all pro- well, it's all for profit. It's not about informing anybody. It's not about giving anybody any useful information. Right. It's again about touching on hot button issues, you know, clickbait, if you will. Yes. You know, inciting the base. Yeah. You know, we're going back and talking about what's been going on in the debates. You know, and beating people up for uh, positions they held 20, 30, 40 years ago. That's all about landing uh, a soundbite. You know, a clickbait soundbite. You know, it, a verbal jab, if you will. Yeah, it's not about differences. It's not about current events. It's not about current issues. It's all about scoring points, you know, in the news media. And people need to realize that, you know, and they need to understand that they're being manipulated, you right. know? Right. And it's sadly, you know, I know now when I turn on the TV and I'm watching Fox, I realize they're trying to piss me off. Absolutely. Because I'm no use to them happy. Mm-hmm. I'm no use to anybody fat and happy. They need me upset at something yeah. and exerting my will and somehow trying to transfer that into a purchase of some kind. Yeah. Right? Um, and the same goes true for all the other channels. You know, I used to be a solid devotee of CNN, would watch it every day. I was at the headquarters and I loved everything they did so I could always feel plugged in to the world. Yeah. And then they got an agenda. So now you really can't go to any of the big three networks and just get the friggin news no it doesn't happen informing informing the populace giving them useful information isn't isn't on their agenda anymore no, that's not what not they're all, all about you know I'll tell you a funny story when i was working in radio um and just to be clear i was working in radio syndication basically we were producing shows for radio stations around the country uh one of the last shows i tried to tried to launch show that we produced was called the good news and it was you know Accounted. This was 2003, 2004. It was accounted all the negativity gotcha. that was going on at the time. You know, this was when the first Iraq war was breaking out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we had Michael Moore ranting at the Oscars, <laughs> trying to come out with something that would counterbalance all the negativity. And very tellingly, no one was interested. Mm-hmm. No one. That show, it didn't land any radio stations anywhere. And that was right around the time I left the radio industry. I pretty much had enough of it at right. that point, you know. Well, it could have been more. You could have turned into the next Michael Moore. Well, <laughs> he makes interesting oh, oh, films. Oh, oh, Come oh, on oh, now. Oh, oh. Napudu Solo. <laughs> was picking on Michael Moore on our agenda for today? It just happened organically. 
Hey, Bowling for Columbine, one of the best documentaries of all time. I'm sorry. Hey, Roger Me was excellent, too. I mean, yeah, the guy started out, and he was a breath of fresh air calling people out on their bullshit. Then. Did he become a cliche? Yes. Yeah. And he, he's, he's more smug than that guy that writes Game of Thrones. All he mm. needs is a stupid captain's hat mm. on his head. Big problem with the left, that whole <laughs> smug thing. Big problem. Yeah. I think that's number 18 on my list of problems <laughs> that I have with the left right now. Pseudo-intellectual. Yeah. Yeah, that's in there, too. And uh, it's coming from a lifelong Democrat, by the way, people. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, let's, let's get out of this. Yeah. This morass, yeah, we need this, to this shake anvil of, of political bullshit. That John, we need to drink around. more. We need oh. to drink more vodka. Well, we got to do, like, some sober episodes so we gain do some we? credibility. Uh, yep. You didn't say then, anything about that when I signed the contract. <laughs> Sober? Come on, man. Just enough to be, There's you know, fun in legitimate. That. You know, they could be grandmothers nestling their, their grandkids in their lap listening to this. Really? Petting the dog. We don't oh want to upset God. anybody. Hey, wait a minute. How, we, haven't, we haven't actually slipped and lost any, any or launched any F-bombs yet, have we? No, no. Because we can do that. This isn't network radio. This is this is No FCC radio. here, kids. Nice. Let them fly. I like it. Unabated. I will gladly take responsibility for the F-bomb portion of the show. Because you're a fucking ball hog, that's why. I'm fucking from Boston, man. Boston. Hopefully someday we'll get to hear you talk funny. Stylistically speaking, <laughs> no one drops an F-bomb like the good people of Boston. So you say. I'm now, sorry. It, it could be Jersey, debated. you wish. Uh, you but wish. We're, so, we're so subliminal with it. We could mix it in with our evening prayers and nobody would even know oh, us. Fuck you. <laughs> See, this is your fault, people. Yes, we've created a monster. Mm -hmm. A monster. So where are we going, John? Well, we're going to go to a little uh, segment that we will do in some of our shows. All right. Called Top Three. Ooh, okay. Yes, because you can sit there with all your friends, folks. Try it at home. And say, name the top three such and such. And it's amazing what people will think of. If you think about it too long, then that just doesn't work. Yeah. So today for our first uh, inaugural Top Three. And he didn't warn me about this, by the way, folks. This is this is I'm as fresh in this as you are. Hey, even if I did, you would never know what direction I was going. Probably wouldn't have paid attention. Okay, you know, quite honestly. All right, here we go. Yeah, top three movies that make you cry. Ooh, ooh. Put your macho. By the way, he has a full head of hair, with a little, <laughs> little pompadour going. As far as I didn't have a tattoo, it says mom on it. You know, that's the ilk he's cut from. Hey, I look good. But let's because hey, look, we're guys. There are movies that make us cry out there. Okay. So give me give me three. Give them to him now. Oh, wow. No, that's that's t- completely out of left field, completely off guard. Movies that make you cry. That's interesting. Not the whole movie, just a particular scene, perhaps. Hmm. I don't know. Do you have an example? Uh, sure. Okay. Right out of the gate for me. All right. Uh, it's going to be Forrest Gump. Okay. When he's addressing her over her grave under that tree that they used to climb as children. Mm-hmm. And he says, and, 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 and Lil Forrest is, is so smart. And he basically, that whole thing, I'm okay. um, blubbering like an ass. Okay. Just watching it every single time. All right. So it's a moment like that. Okay. And I would have to go with the Jersey scene in Rudy. Oh. I have to throw that Rudy, out there. Rudy. Rudy. I loved when he got eaten by those monsters in Stranger Things season two. Oh, wait, that wasn't Rudy. No. No. No, he's a kid from, uh, from Lord Sam of the Rings. Yeah, right. there we go. There we go. <laughs> All right, but that's, that's, that's good. Yeah, sure. You know, and, and this is coming from an alumni of the University of Southern California who has a very, very strong disdain for all things Notre Dame. Who doesn't? But at the same time. Yeah, Hail couldn't. to the victors. I'm a Michigan guy as a day as long. Are you? All right. It's Notre Dame. Yeah, please. Ding. There we go. 
But yeah, that scene, that scene really, really gets you. Sure. You got another one in the kitty, or do I need to regurgitate Uh, some more emotion here? I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) No, give me another one. Give me another one. Go ahead. Wow, another one here. Okay, Uh, Robert Redford in The Natural. In the last game, when his bat breaks, and he says the little fat bat boy, he's like, pick me out of winter, Jimmy. And the kid goes to the case and pulls out a bat that he had made Mm -hmm. with Redford's character, and they called it the Savoy Special. And Uh, he trots it out to him, he puts it in his hands. That is the most pure Americana moment, I think for me personally, I've ever seen in a cinema. So yes, every single time, (laughs) the waterworks start. Okay, okay. Um, hmm. V. V for victory. The scene where Natalie Portman, Portman walks out after the, uh, after the torture scene. Okay. And she realizes that it's all a setup and she's standing in the rainstorm. You know, the metaphorical, you know. Gotcha. Gotcha. The cleansing pur- of the rain. Yes. The purification aspect. That, that, that bring a tear to my eye. Okay. Liberal. Yeah. Yeah. So now I could say. Well, I don't have three because I'm not some half a man <laughs> that cries at everything he watches, having already sucked you into that. But no, because we're friends, I'm not going to do that to you. Fair enough. Ah, uh, wow. Here's one from left field. Okay. Real left field. Yeah. You know all the uh, animated Christmas specials with the little puppets and things? Yes. Okay. Yes. There's a little known one. Doesn't get a whole lot of airplay, but it's called Nestor, the long-eared Christmas donkey. Are you familiar with that no, one? No, not at all. Well, I'll tell you what's special about Nestor. In that one, they teach you about death, or at least in my case, that's what it did. Yeah. So when I was very small, and I was sitting there watching this with my sister, a couple years older than me, mom's uh, in the kitchen having coffee with one of the neighbor ladies, you know, oblivious to the fact that she's supposed to be you know, watching her kids. Yeah. And we're watching this, and there's a scene where Nestor's mother shelters him from a bitter winter storm after they've been thrown out of the stables because of his grotesque long ears. Mm-hmm. His mother covers him in the winter storm until it breaks, and in the morning he awakens to be wrapped in the arms of his dead mother. Ooh. This is puppets, people. This is Christmas. <laughs> I went from have a holly jolly Christmas to watching this little donkey basically waking up, you know, yeah. being kept alive by his mother like a tauntaun on Hoth. Okay. <laughs> yes. Ugh. So, yeah, that, that's a tearful moment to this day. I can understand that. <laughs> I can understand that. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty heavy, right? I don't know if I have anything to follow that, John. That, that you don't, because didn't you do your three? That yeah, was pretty much a slam dunk right there. That is, hey, it is yeah, what it is. I can emote. I know emotion. All right, all right. So, anyway. All right, well, it's a pseudo-magic time once again, because now it's time for gem number, number two. two. Oh, very good. And very I won't good. give you much about it, folks, but now I'm going to play a tune that's very special to me, and... Once we're done playing it, I will explain why I chose to make okay. this gem number two on the Ignorable episode of Riffs give and us, Rants. Give us a song title and give us a band name, John. Well, the title of the song is Bad and Ruin by a group called Faces back when they were fronted by a very young Rod Stewart. Nice. All right. So we're going to go play this for you folks. We'll be back in just a few to explain and wrap things up. <laughs> Recognize 
huh? Oh, good call, John. That good is call. some good old-fashioned rock and roll wow. right there. And so what was what was the impetus behind that choice? What was that? Because yeah. you love stories. Here All we right, go. here we go. You know, I started Big Boom Radio about three years ago. Okay. And I got the inclination and the desire to do it from listening to a, uh, at the time, syndicated show on Sirius XM called Little Stevens Underground Garage. Ah, yes. Hosted by Stephen Van Zant from... East Street Bear. Yes. And guy knows a, an amazing amount of stuff about music, more than I will ever learn. He's already forgetting stuff. But the way the show is laid out, it's all garage rock, so it's like one-hit wonders and really good music that never got the airplay it should have. Yeah. And he would also, as you know, star in the show The Sopranos, and they always had an amazing little rock nugget at the end of every show. Yeah. So this one particular show, the story arc had Steve Buscemi in there as Tony Soprano's cousin. I remember that, yes. Right, and he gets killed at the end of this episode, and that song, Bad and Ruin, comes on. And when I first heard it, I was like, that sounds like Rod Stewart, but I'm not familiar with the song, you know? Dug a little deeper, found out, learned a little bit about the faces and listened to a lot of their songs. And that's why that song stuck in my head. But the reason I wanted to play that in particular is because I will say with all humility that if it wasn't for Stevie Van Zandt and the Underground Garage, there would be no Big Boom Radio. And there would most certainly be no Rockabilly Rumble, which is the flagship show of the network. Because he blends all different elements with humor, with some factual rock and roll history, and just makes it all come together. And I said to myself, self, if I could do something <laughs> like that, I would be happy as a pig and shit. Now, did you actually say self? I do, because yeah. I like to acknowledge myself and sometimes speak in third person, because right. I'm important. <laughs> if you haven't gathered that already, Middle America, I'm important. John, I wouldn't be here if you weren't. Outstanding. There we go. <laughs> the faces. Now... Wasn't Rod Stewart, or not Rod Stewart, but uh, Ronnie Wood from the Rolling Stones? Wasn't you were absolutely correct, sir. Yeah. He was. And then after Rod left, they became the Small Faces. Small Faces. Which yes. I never understand that, because you would think you would start small and then get bigger, or just have a face. But I think, and I could be wrong on this, but I believe the name The Small Faces came about, and this is going to sound so simple it's stupid, but they were all short guys. They're all very short guys. They were 5'6", 5'7", 5'8". Right. And it was kind of a wry English humorist kind of a thing to do. Is it all with the small faces? I'm going to take that and run with it. I See, think that's what we call free knowledge, folks. <laughs> and that's what this man brings to the table. Absolutely. I mean, of I'm course, quick with so a joke, and I'll light up your smoke. But there's some place he'd rather be. You know, I'm telling you. So on that note, here's what we got going on with the rest of the week here. Yeah, what's Boom coming Radio. up on Big Boom Radio? Well, later tonight, we've got a little something we call Girl Power, oh. the Women of Rock. Oh, there we go. Yes, we do that for a solid hour at 8 o'clock because women need the proper recognition for Absolutely. what they bring to the table. Absolutely. I'm a modern dude, if nothing else. Tuck. And women are equals in some areas better. We'll leave that to the imagination. <laughs> but they deserve full recognition, whether it's through face-melting vocals or guitar virtuosos like Joan Jett. Uh, John yeah. Chicks Rock. They, they just do. do. They Chick's do. What are the, who, who are some of the, f the featured artists on this? Well, we always uh, put a little splash and say some Joan Jett on there. Okay. But you could have anybody from Susie Quattro to Melissa Etheridge to nice. Bonnie Raitt. Sometimes for pure vocals, I might even throw Aretha on there. Okay. Just, just a whale at us with a tune. Susie Quattro? Yes. All right. Of course, you know her as Leather Tuscan. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, folks. Oh, We're children dear. of the 70s. God, are we dating ourselves on that yeah. reference. But as wow. well as like new groups, and Hailstorm, and all these, all these women that are just putting out such amazing music right now. Mm -hmm. 
Um, there's yeah, they need to be acknowledged. And Absolutely. really, when you stick to the genre of classic rock, it limits you to basically, you know, maybe Janis Joplin or a Pat Benatar or the Heart in the early days. Mm-hmm. But there aren't that many women featured because they yeah. had hits here and there, but never like a celebrated catalog. So this allows us to do that. Yeah. And hey, fair's fair. Well, having been a, 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 I don't know, child of the 90s, I guess you could say, I was, you know, very into grunge rock. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, we'll play some Liz Fair. Sure. Yeah, all right. All right. Yeah. Little Courtney Love. Little, little Courtney Love. There little hole in nice, there. Nice. All right. Good to hear. Good to hear. <laughs> yep. And then Saturday morning, we have a little ditty called Saturday Morning 70s. Nice. Basically, Saturday Morning 70s is about capturing the magic of the days of yore and the 70s, which were just ridiculous to begin with. Funky times. Oh, yeah. Everybody was sweaty. Did you ever notice that? And, and just greasy looking. The, the fashion. The fashion. Oh, the bell the fashion. bottoms. Yes. You know, the sideburns. Yeah, but you since know, we but were just tiny lads at the yes, time, yes. That, like barely born, really, mm-hmm. uh, we'd be sitting there in our onesies on the shag carpet. Rocking out to Led Zeppelin. Well, you maybe you were <laughs> probably stoned out of your gourd too as a toddler. I got I got I got started early, folks. I did. Whereas I, did. I would have you know one hand on an encyclopedia, another hand on my bowl of frosted flakes, and I would watch whatever amazing Saturday morning lineup they had geared just to children. Yeah, because uh, advertisers were realizing, oh my God, there's another demographic there. Mm-hmm. We could program these little rugrats to be incessantly annoying to their parents. And get them to buy whatever we want. John, John, I'm having a Bay City Rollers flashback right now. <laughs> Are you back, back, back in the New York group? No. Ooh. <laughs> ooh. Ooh. Little Ace Freely solo. Nice. Yeah. Nice, yeah. nice. Yeah. Anyway. So, yeah, that's what we got going on this week. And don't forget, folks, there's something going on every single day of the week on Big Boom Radio. And how do you know this? You go to BigBoomRadio.com. We got a full schedule laid out. So it tells you. How to live your life, basically. When to tune in. Mm-hmm. We control the horizontal. We control the vertical. And you'll be better off for it. Trust me. So. Rock and roll heaven. This is Johnny Teflon signing off on Riffs and Rants with my favorite co-pilot. Michael Sean Lee. You guys have a fantastic week. And we will see you on the flip side. <laughs>